0: Much of the world won't, and even Christians, to some extent, have their, live and act as if they have their doubts about what God is going to do. Um, so there's that. And keep going. He says, I myself, verse 9 is where we're at, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I think these last two verses, verse 10 and 11, are interesting and helpful for us because... Paul, he takes the blame. And certainly he sinned a great deal in persecuting Christians. He did actively seek them out and toss them into the jail. And he did uh, condone their killings. But he doesn't say here that he killed anybody. Um, And so I think a lot of times somebody in that situation may be trying to plead their case before God in a way, and maybe plead their case before other people, and say, okay, I made some mistakes, but it wasn't that bad. Like, I actually didn't, I didn't carry out the killing. I didn't do the bad part. That was somebody else. Uh, we, we do that a lot of times, trying to make ourselves look better. But Paul understood that it was his sin that led those people to their deaths, And he took the responsibility for that. And it's hard to take responsibility for our sins sometimes. Um, but it's good to do. It's good to do. It's Why would that be a good thing to do? Why would that be helpful at all to say, I'm just as bad of a sinner because I imprison people, than to say, I'm, I'm not that bad of a sinner because I didn't actually stone them, or I didn't behead them, or I didn't uh hang him or kill him any other way. Yes sir. Take any ownership and he's also
1: able to relate what you are teaching him of doing that two part the way he's speaking, he's feeding his case, look, I just as bad as you guys are until I thought away. And this is how evil I really was, that's the mistake you're trying to make.
0: That's true. Um so one way that can help in spreading the gospel in just sort of a very subtle way is that if Paul is up here saying, this is the mistakes that I've made, and bearing no bones about it, being extremely frank about it, and saying that, yeah, I was wrong, then somebody else who feels like they did something wrong may have some more courage to change, and may not feel too embarrassed, ashamed to God about it, but not too embarrassed to ask Paul for help, or to ask Paul how to repent, how to be saved, in that sort of situation.
1: Just like uh, Paul might say that if God, as terrible as he had been throughout his life, and God changed him, he can do the same for them.
0: Right, absolutely. God has... Incredible power to do that. Yes, sir?
1: It also plays into the accountability. Here Paul is being accused of being a troublemaker and a, being a person who is causing riots and whatnot, and he's really showing his defense that I might have been like that person, but that's not who I am. That's not what I was doing. And his defense shows, you know, their accusations against him is really against him being the opposite of what they're saying he was.
0: That's true. That's excellent. And going on in verse 12, he keeps on preaching. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, and I said, "Who are you, Lord?" And the Lord said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting." Let's stop right there, because I think fifteen, verse fifteen, is important and interesting. That Jesus says he introduces himself as being Jesus, whom Paul is persecuting or, or Saul is persecuting. Um, why is that significant? that Jesus would introduce himself that way. Because he equates himself with the church, with the Christians, right? So, if the church is the body of Christ, so as we treat one another, is how we're treating Christ. So, if we're persecuting Christians, then not only are we doing that to human beings that are flawed, that made mistakes, that deserve death, that deserve suffering, but because they're in the church, because... Uh, Jesus has died for them and has um, washed away their sins and purged them with his blood and all that kind of thing, then when we do that to Christians, we are doing that to Jesus, who doesn't deserve any of it. And we should feel really bad for such a thing. Uh, Same thing that he taught the disciples near the end of his ministry, talking about how um, I was naked and you clothed me and... I was in prison, and you visited me, I was sick, you visited me, all that sort of thing. As you did to these, you do to me. It's the same thing. So, we are, we should treat one another as we're a part of Christ, because that's how the Bible teaches it to be, right?
1: That's mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> And That's true. And this is, uh, Paul likes to tell the story of his conversion, Um, and it's a really powerful one, and that's why I think he does it. Absolutely, right. And that's what that's what God told the prophet in Acts nine that he was going to use Paul for. Right. To to be a a witness for him. Verse sixteen says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Again, verse 20 is another verse that I think is very uh, applicable to us today, that we can learn from Paul's words and apply it to our lives today. He's talking about repentance and how we ought to repent, but then he also says to perform deeds in keeping with that repentance, right? Um, So... Is there What value is there in repenting if you turn right back around? To, if repenting is a 180, right, and then you do another 180, what good is doing a 360 when you're supposed to be doing a 180? If you're not skateboarding, then that's counterproductive. <laughs> um, and so that's what he's saying. And that happens. Sometimes you have to spin around in circles sometimes because it's hard to get out of those struggles and out of those temptations. But if you're a Christian that's given your life to God, and you're submitting to Christ, and uh, as Paul teaches us in Romans, that we're choosing to be slaves to righteousness rather than slaves to sin, so we're completely submitting to the will of Christ, then that means that we have to continue to live like that, right? We have to continue to choose God's will over these temptations that we find so attractive and desirable. And, and keep going that way. Um, it's a process. It's, it's a long race. It's a marathon, this Christian walk that we have. It's not something um, that needs to be continually fed. That's why it's so important to go to church uh, on a regular basis because you keep that encouragement, you keep that feeding, and all that fellowship. Because if you're, you know, let's say you're a mass murderer um, and somebody converts you, then all of a sudden you have this great zeal and passion and you say, All right, I'm going to change my ways. I'm not going to kill anybody anymore. I see that that is wrong. I can now understand why people might not like that and how God might not like that. And so I'm going to. Uh, quit killing people, and I'm going to live for God. But then you still live your same life. And you don't start going to church. You don't start reading your Bible, and you don't pray. You don't do any of these things acting like a Christian, following the Bible. And how hard is it going to be to keep up your passion for the gospel, to keep up your zeal for doing what's right? How hard is it going to be to, to keep up that repentance and performing deeds in keeping with your repentance? Right? Probably end up killing more people. Still don't know for sure. That's just a hypothetical example. But that's a lot of times how it works. So we're we need that continual support to nourishment because. Um, It's hard. It's not easy. But it's worth it, right? It's definitely the no-brainer choice to make.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Certainly, absolutely, absolutely. Those are great thoughts. Well, Paul's not done. Um, verse 21, he says, For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I've had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said it would come to pass. That Again, he's saying, I'm just following the Bible, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Wait a minute. So he just said that Christ is the first to rise from the dead. Yeah, we were talking about before how the Israelites, the Jews, had already experienced people rising from the dead. Even in Jesus' ministry, there had been so many people risen from the dead. So how is Christ the first one to rise from the dead? Right, exactly. He's the first one for the final resurrection. He's the first one that didn't have to die again. Of course, you had a couple of people that didn't have to die in the first place. But he's the first one that didn't have to die again. And so we're going to, at some point in time, follow him into the eternal life. Well, oh yeah, this sure, sure. I guess that's really the, the difference in that kind of resurrection. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but with all the other ones, you had a prophet or you had an apostle or you had Jesus Himself that's raising somebody from the dead. And I guess the most similar one would be Jesus raising people from the dead, since He is God. But as God raised Jesus from the dead, God's going to raise you know us, and He. In the end, the same way. It's not going to be another person walking around. The next verse, verse twenty four, says that and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, and remember, before we read this, this is Agrippa's hearing. So Festus is so confused, he just jumps right in. He's there, he's the he's the governor, he's in charge, so it's not that big of a deal. But This is not really his hearing. He's interjecting. Um, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. How about that? So here he, sir, he recognizes Paul's education. He says, obviously, you're a really smart man. But you've gone crazy. You're like these guys that are going to live much later. uh, Bobby Fischer and Nikola Tesla that they're just geniuses that went crazy at the end of their life because they're uh, just too smart for their own good, and that's what's happened to you. you are just gone crazy. Well, why would he think that he's crazy? Have you heard the story he just told? Obviously, Festus is not familiar with all these miracles and these things that are happening that Agrippa would be very familiar with, that the Jews would be very familiar with. But Festus is here as an outsider to thinking, What is, what is this? religion, what's this faith that's going on? Somebody raising from the dead, somebody else blinding somebody, a bright light from heaven? What's going on? Y'all people are you're crazy. So I, I think with as widespread as the Bible is today and as many people know about Jesus, especially in America, that you're not gonna find this very often. Just talking about these doctrinal issues. But there are other things that the Bible teaches us, that the way Christians act, that people who are not Christians, that people of the world are going to look at and say, that's insane. Why would you do that? Why would you save yourself from marriage? You know, why would you con- condemn these, these acts that everybody's okay with? We see them in commercials all the time. Right? Why would it be insane for you to, to think that that's not okay? And... Christians just have a, a different standard a higher standard a brighter light to guide us and it's different and I think that um, I think that having that light is, is not something that's going to to hurt us at all um, hurt our influence and people may think it's crazy but I think that they will benefit from if we're able to stand with the courage that Paul does in in this situation. Let me keep on. Um, Verse 25 says, But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? Let's stop right there. This shows you the the power of the gospel, the potential of the gospel. Because while Agrippa is not saved in this instance, he does admit that in a short time he would be if he had some more time with Paul... Maybe, maybe if he was around Paul for two years, and they discussed back and forth. But you have somebody who's a member of the Herodian dynasty, because that's a great family, right? Because somebody who has, is as worldly, who's very possibly in an incestuous relationship at the moment. So to give you an idea of just how corrupt that he is. Um, that the power of God, the power of the gospel is strong enough that it could change even him. Just from this uh, short testimony that Paul has given at this point, I think that's incredible. And Paul displays a great patience and confidence in his response. In verse uh, 29, he says, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, Except for these chains. This is where the chains come to play. So he's saying, I want you to be just as I am, except for these chains. What's he really saying? I want you to have bad eyesight. I want you to be i want you to be a Christian. I want you to be saved. I want your soul to, to make it to heaven. I want everybody who hears me, always, I, that's probably his wish, every single day that he gets up and everybody that I encounter, I wish that they would be a Christian. I mean, he says whether short or long, um, I think that's a maturity, and that's the patience that he has because sometimes when we're trying to evangelize um, in a situation like this, and, and maybe with this hearing with Agrippa, he sort of felt like it was a a one shot deal, but a lot of times we try to close the deal really quickly. you'll see that if you go to Peru, you'll see that uh, on the campaign trips a lot of times we'll say this is this is the only time I'm going to be improved this year, and it's the only time I'll be having this conversation with this guy, probably. So we try to. Uh, a lot of times, it's real tempting for people to try to close the deal, and just go ahead and get them baptized, and then let the, the preachers that stay there, you know, work on them to continue their faith and that sort of thing. And Paul says, and it is an urgent thing, by the way, because we don't know when Christ is coming back." But Paul says, "Whether short or long." Obviously, Paul would rather it be short right then. But he says, whether short or long, as long as it happens, I want you to become a Christian. I want you to experience the, the power and the grace of God. Um, and sometimes it takes that. Sometimes, if you have somebody in your life, I've heard from a lot of you this sort of situation. Um, this is more from your experience than I'm talking about than from mine. But you have like a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, or somebody that you see something in, and or you care about them enough that you keep working on them. And for years and years, you invite them to church, where you talk to them about God or something in some way. And it takes years and years, and sometimes decades. And then all of a sudden, at some point, they say, "Hey, can I come to church with you? And can I? Would you mind?" talking with me some more about the Bible, and then it goes, and they become Christians because of that. Sometimes it takes a long time, some patience, and it's not always a quick thing. And y'all are looking at me like, of course, Jared. But me, as somebody who's raised in the church, and somebody who's young and dumb, I look at this and I think, okay, the Bible says this, 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 this makes perfect sense. Why would you not... Just commit to Christ and go to heaven. If you know that if you don't, you're not going to heaven. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It should be an instant decision. And I sort of had to struggle that with that myself as a youth minister. And some of these some of these kids that get older and older and older. And they've come to church three times a week. And they, they're very involved in the youth group. And, and they just never get baptized. And I'm thinking, what are you waiting on? Like what's happening here. But sometimes it takes patience, right? Life but life ain't guaranteed. that's true right. Sure, Sure. yeah, absolutely. The Holy Spirit has to be with him through all of this. Um, And you can see, plainly, that Paul is more concerned with winning the soul than winning the argument, right? I think that's the big deal. That's kind of how we have to approach these situations as well. Um, Because that's how we are with our political uh, conversations and spiritual conversations, everything we're passionate about. Everybody wants their opinion heard and they want to win the day. They want to win the argument. Um, but the argument is not the most important thing here. Of course, Paul's right, but what he's getting at, the end game from him, for him, is as many souls as possible. If not Agrippa, if not Festus, then maybe some of the people who are listening that are in the in the audience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's true. We need to be careful and think about it all. Um, we are, I guess, about out of time. I'll take some prayer requests before we pray. I, n- I know that I think that's something y'all usually do, and I didn't want to lose a whole lot of Acts 26 time, so I moved it to the end. But does anybody have anything you would like to? Yes, sir. All right.